Hi, reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, I am chatting with Amanda Churchill about The Turtle House. I first met Amanda in the fall at FallCon when I was there in Denver and heard her speak about this book and knew I had to read it as soon as I could. The cover is stunning and the book itself is as well. This was actually an early read for my Patreon community and had the largest turnout of any book we've done so far, and people have been raving about it. Amanda is a writer living in Texas. Her novel, The Turtle House, was inspired by the life of her beloved grandmother, a Japanese war bride. Her work has been featured in Witness, River Sticks, and other publications. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. Welcome, Amanda. How are you today? I am doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, and I am so glad that we're chatting because I absolutely loved The Turtle House, and I can't wait for other people to learn about it and read it as well. Thank you so much. Um, That means so much to me. Such a beautiful story. I just couldn't even believe it was a debut as I was reading. Well, that that makes my heart so happy. Um, It is definitely a debut. I started this a long time ago, and it's it's been a labor of love. Well, and we met briefly in Denver in the fall at FallCon. And I got to hear your pitch then, and I said, I must read this book, and started telling everybody else I know about it, because not only is it beautiful on the inside, but it is beautiful on the outside, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Well, thank you. Well, let's start first with you giving me a quick synopsis of The Turtle House. This is always the hardest part. Um, The Turtle House uh, is a novel that is based on my own grandmother's experience growing up in Japan um, before and then during, and then during occupation as well. It's also an imagined account of how a 25-year-old granddaughter would learn how to share her own secrets as she discovers her grandmother's. So it's that intergenerational story where they connect. It's a love story on several levels. It's a first love story. And then it's also a love story between generations of family and the love of home or the idea of home. And how you define home or find home if you feel like you don't have one. Exactly. Well, you mentioned your grandmother, but how did you come up with the ideas for this one? It started a long time ago when I was actually pregnant with my first daughter. My grandmother was recovering from cancer. She had um, stomach cancer and had her stomach removed and was trying to overcome that. And I was super duper pregnant and finishing up my master's thesis. And it was just one of those things that we happened to be in the same place at the same time. And she had never spoken much about her life before coming to Texas. And I started asking questions. And she was a little reticent at first, but she started opening up. And I think it was that brush with death for her 
And the fact that I was there and about to have a great grandchild for her, she had a few already, but she was, she was really open. And so we kind of hung out and she would share a story and then we'd watch um, some sumo wrestling or one of her favorite Japanese soap operas, which she was obsessed with. I think that was her favorite thing in her old age was her Japanese satellite television. And that's how it all began. And then as I started writing her stories down after she passed, I had to fill in a lot of gaps because I realized I hadn't asked the right questions or I hadn't gone down enough of a road. And it just became very natural as a fiction writer just to fill in with what I thought could have happened. And before long, I had half of a novel written, but I couldn't stop there. I felt like there needed to be another character to help explain her story and just for her to bounce off ideas. And that's where the granddaughter came into play. I loved that. And I loved that Leah was recording their interviews. That was a clever way to do it. Thank you. Yes. Originally, Leah was a reporter. And I, it just came natural to record. And then as I started writing more, I felt like she needed to do something different with her life. And that's when the architecture um, came in. They're all things that I was obsessed with when I was a child. I actually was a reporter for a very hot minute on television during college and shortly after. And then I have been obsessed with architecture my entire life. So my obsessions come in handy in, in <laughs> writing. <laughs> exactly. I loved both settings, Japan and a small Texas town. Obviously, living in Texas, I am much more familiar with the small Texas town, but the Japanese setting was just beautiful. What the society was like prior to the war, what happened as the war began, just all of it. How did you know enough to craft all of that? That was, that was a challenge. I knew enough from my grandmother and what she had told me to kind of get a good running start. And then I also talked to um, one of her dear friends um, who's also Japanese and also grew up, she grew up maybe 10 years later than my grandmother in Japan. So got some ideas off of her. And then it was a matter of reading contemporary novels that were published during that time and doing a lot of research and trying to like almost fact check my grandmother's story and figure out how it all connected um, culturally. So it was, it was fascinating. And there were many, many deep dives into things that didn't make it into the book. But I felt like I needed to learn about in order to have the world captured in my head. Absolutely. To inform your story, even if it didn't make it into the book, it was enough background to help you write the story. Exactly. So I felt like I was living in it as well at the same time. So yeah, it was it was a fun project. And it, it made me feel so much closer to my grandmother because she passed in March of 2014 as I was writing it, I kind of felt like she was in the room with me sometimes. And it that sounds kind of eerie and weird, but it was a lovely way to keep her spirit around for a longer time. Oh, I think that that sounds beautiful and such a way to honor her as well. Yes. I, I mean, she had a rough existence. Her life was not rosy or easy. And she had a lot of um, she had a lot of grit, which I think you know, is why she fit into the Texas landscape in some ways, because she was kind of gutsy, but also wanted to give her a happier ending than I thought she had in real life. So that was something I went into. Um, I wanted it to have a happier ending. Oh, I love that. The other aspect of the story that I thought was fascinating was the American airbase in Japan 
and Minako's experience there and what it was like living there as a Japanese woman. And then when the base closed, just all of it was really fascinating to me. Well, that was Tachikawa. And my father was actually born on base there. And so I had heard a lot about those early years from my um, Aunt June and my dad as they talked about what it was like and traveling around Tokyo and, and what base life was like. There's actually a Facebook page that is all Tachikawa Air Force kids that had grown up there um, and their memories of it. So they will post everything, photos of their parents, photos from dances, photos from the like the officer clubs. And I got to see it in so many ways through that Facebook page. And then it would jump on to like, it would go, oh, look at these photos I took. This is Tachikawa now. It is totally overgrown and they've changed half of it to a city park. So I got to look at those pictures too. do a Google walk through the area. It was, that was so much fun. What a great resource, that Facebook group. I mean, seriously. And I just kind of stumbled upon it. And the people there were so kind and so um, just open. And it was just a fun, I mean, it's been around for years. So there was just a plethora of images and things that people saved, um, like menus from the from like a restaurant nearby. It was it was fabulous. I always love pouring over old photos, especially when I'm doing something like this, where you're interested in a particular place. I just mm-hmm. feel like it obviously brings it to life. I know. And I have a lot of my grandmother's photos from the time. And my publicist asked me to go through them and maybe put a few on my website. And I had the opportunity just to scan them in. I'm a graphic designer, so scanning and looking at them. And I love to look at the backgrounds and what was on the table. My dad is eating with chopsticks. I know it's on base, but what kind of fridge is behind him? And I am, I mean, just deep dive into the background behind my father's head. Like, so much fun. Definitely. And how about the format? I thought it was really interesting toggling back and forth between the two women's perspective, but also back and forth in time. That was a challenge to write. I really am fascinated by, by structure, and it's something that doesn't come naturally to me. So I think that's the reason I, I really love to look at it and other people's novels and figure out how they're doing it. When you're telling a story, when to, when to give hints, when to let something out into the, the plot, that's a challenge. And I'd, I've always been one who gives up too much too fast. And so the structure kind of allowed me to hold some secrets back and um, sprinkle things in throughout the novel, which was which was perfect. Uh, yeah, I loved going back and forth. I think so much of our existence as humans, in your memory, you toggle back and forth. Something about your, what you're doing today will remind you of the past. And I kind of wanted it to have that feel. It definitely did. And I agree with that. I frequently am sent back in time when I see something or smell something or even hear something. Yeah, I think a lot of it is about memory and how we process those memories. Um, And I just think processing it and writing about it made me think a lot more about my childhood and the stories that I've heard and just my experiences with my grandmother and as a Japanese-American person. So it was the structure really gave me a lot to work with. Well, let's talk about that aspect of it, being a Japanese-American person and making sure you incorporated what that felt like in your book. Yes. I've always felt that I was very much in the middle. My mother is white. She is blonde. She is Texan. Um, my dad is half Japanese. Um, he doesn't always look Japanese. He's kind of a, a taller man. And a lot of people think, oh, he's, he's Hawaiian or he's, he's Hispanic American. 
And so that was always kind of a, a thing that I had to think about, looking a little different and feeling very different inside because I was raised so close to my grandmother and and her traditions and how she saw things. So that was something I've just carried with me. And when I started writing the character of Leah, I realized that I, I carried some baggage with me and I really had a chance to to kind of dive into it. There were some fascinating articles I read about the mixed racial experience and how not really being able to grab onto one cultural identity causes a lot of stress and causes some anxiety in a person. And I I looked back at my own life and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, that's that's very true. And so I had a chance to to focus that and um, just kind of funnel it into Leah. Examine how it had felt for you think through some of those things that you experienced growing up. And then, as you said, put that into Leah's character. Exactly. Well, I loved the turtle house itself and felt it was a character in the book. Did any place inspire the turtle house? You know, I read an article, I think it was the New York Times, about these old Japanese country estates that had just kind of fallen in disarray. They're on the real estate market. People necessarily don't want to live there because they're so far from the bigger cities. And Americans and Brits were coming in and buying them up and and kind of trying to make them look like the way they used to. So that was an article that I read. And then there was a YouTube link to a video about it. So I watched that as well. But one of my favorite things, there was a, a beautiful Japanese tile on eBay. And I was looking for like a good Christmas gift for like my dad or something. And I found it and it was really expensive and also very big to ship. But it was of a turtle that had a funky smile on its face. And I was like, is that a turtle with a squirrel tail? What the heck? And so I had to go look back through um, a book and I realized it was a minogame. And I kind of remembered reading, my grandmother had given me a folktale book when I was a kid. And the folktales had a lot of just random magical creatures in them. And looking back and I was like, oh, okay, that's that's what that turtle is. That means longevity and I don't know, just kind of an interesting life. So all these little things I found, I just kind of wove into a house. But looking at photos of those beautiful homes and how they were structured really helped me structure in my head what the house looks like. And the other thing that I was going through when I was writing it is my father built my home here in Keller. He's a custom home builder. And I helped him do that. And so it was the most time I'd spent with my father since like high school. And we are driving around looking at, I don't know, picking up wood and looking at granite and figuring out doorknobs together and on site almost every single day. And just the just the building of something and watching it come up from dirt to a real house with a roof inspired this how to see a home and how to create it in your head. So it was just a layering of things that I I got to experience all at once and around, you know, between 2014, 2015. <laughs> well, I always enjoy a strong sense of place. It's something I comment on a lot. It's something I look for in books. And so I love when something like the Turtle House is brought so vividly to life. Like I felt like I was there. I was out back at the pond, the turtle. And I, I did so much Googling too. That was the other thing I love in a book is when I learn all these things that I don't know anything about and spend all this time Googling, filling in the gaps. So both of those things really were a big hit for me with your book. Well, I sketched it out. Um, I love to draw as I'm a graphic designer. So I do a lot of a lot of hand-drawn stuff to begin with. 
So I had a chance to sketch it out. I did like an overhead of where the house would be and kind of laid it out and platted it where the river would be. I tried to like even pace out how far it would be from the stream. Like I got really in the weeds with it to the point that I was like, am I doing this not to write the novel? Am I just having <laughs> fun in the backyard figuring all this stuff out? But And your neighbors are like, what is she doing? <laughs> I know. They're like, why is Amanda pacing back and forth between the fence and her house? Is she okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something going on over there. <laughs> I think that is why it was so vividly created because you did do all of that work. So you weren't just writing without having the knowledge of, of how it felt, how it would look. I know I could see it. And kind of like when I was building this house, I, after we moved in, I would walk into the kitchen and have my eyes closed and go, okay, this is what I imagine. I'm going to open my eyes and see how it, how it matches. And I had gotten it really, really close. And so that was what I did with the turtle house. If I were to ever build it or my, look, actually my dad were to ever build it, I would, I would hope to do the same thing. I think I know where the screens are. I know where the walls are. Yeah, it was a, an imagination. Makes perfect sense. Well, you received a fabulous review from Kirkus. So first, congratulations. Thank you. That's nerve wracking. Waiting for those reviews to come in. That's that's something. I mean, that was a lot of chocolate that I ate. Wait, <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> I love this line from the review. This lovingly illuminated double portrait asks us to think about what has changed and what has not and at what cost. I thought that really encapsulated the book so well. I know. I, I want to meet this reviewer. I was like, I was just so overwhelmed by the thoughtfulness of how it was read. One of the things, there's a lot of great themes in the book. Talked a little bit about intergenerational friendship, family, but women and what they've experienced back then and now, whether things have changed and whether they haven't. I thought that was really well crafted in your book. Thank you. I think that was something that I was looking at kind of in the almost subconsciously in the back of my head. I wanted Leah's story to have kind of a Me Too moment, but before Me Too. And I think it's something very common in most women's experiences. I know that I've experienced it, having a situation that I absolutely had no control over and I didn't know what I had done to cause it or had I done anything or did the person come looking for me? All of those feelings. And I wanted Leah to be able to have that and then come through it. Exactly. is what has changed for women. We talk about it more maybe, but a lot of the situations are the same. I mean, clothing and hairstyles have changed. <laughs> that's about exactly. it. Exactly. No, I agree with that. And what can be done differently? And I think that's the trickiest part of it. And obviously no spoilers for Leah's situation, but you think she didn't do anything wrong at all. And this whole thing unfolds around her. And how do you change that? Exactly. If we can't change it, how do we how do we bounce back from it in a way that is graceful and positive and doesn't ruin the victim's life? I mean, I think that's something else that I learned from my grandmother. It was was just how to keep going and something that I, I look I look I looked back on in my 20s and when I was going through some stuff. Yeah, how to persevere. How to persevere. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, 
We explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Well, what surprised you the most when writing this one? Gosh, that is a great question. I think what surprised me the most was how difficult Leah was to write for me, and then also how liberating it was to write Leah. I, my grandmother's story, the, the character of Mineko, it came out of me just like a fountain. It was, it was all in there, and it very little has changed from that first time I hand-wrote it. I started handwriting it in like late, well, late April of 2014. It came out, and it was edited, but a lot of the phrases, a lot of the sentences, a lot of the paragraphs are exactly the same. Leah was something that I struggled with. And I think what I was so surprised by is how little of my own experience I had um, processed through my life. I am someone who has a to-do list. I'm type A. I go from one thing to another. I balance a lot. And I balance a lot maybe to not think about my own existence and some of the struggles I've faced. And so it was almost like a... (laughs) like a counseling moment. I went to my therapist during it and I was like, all right, what is going on here? And she's like, Amanda, you are actually processing things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is how that works, huh? Why did I, why have I paid you so much for so long? I should have just written a novel. I'm sure she loved hearing that. And yeah, I did not say that. She's loved it. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I think that was the most surprising part of, of writing was, was seeing how I felt in my heart as I was putting words on the page. And finding it cathartic. And finding it cathartic. I feel like I've grown. I mean, a lot of time has passed, so I have grown. But I feel like emotionally I've changed through the writing of this novel. That's so interesting. And I hear that a lot. And I think it makes sense because write what you know, you are incorporating a family story, things that happened partially to you in your life. And so it makes sense that it would impact you. And I wonder if that's going to be how it is through my other novels. And I have, I'm writing a second one and I find myself doing the same thing. And I'm like, is this all how all writers are? Are they all taking little bits and pieces of themselves and sprinkling them? I hope so. I hope I'm not just the only one doing it. I think that's so interesting that you just said that because in my mind, I was thinking, I wonder if it will always be that way for her. But sometimes I ask about second books or third books or whatever it's going to be. But often I don't because people don't always want to talk about it. So I thought, well, I won't ask. And then you brought it up. So that's perfect. That's, I'm, I'm working on it. It's going to be sent to my agent. And we'll go through that process. I hope she likes it. Um, my early readers have. I'm hopeful, but also being kind of quiet about it and holding it very loosely in my hands, knowing that it could change and it could, it could morph into something else. And I have to be cool with that process. Yeah, it's a crazy process. It's a crazy, crazy process. Well, I mentioned your beautiful cover earlier, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. First, let's talk about the title. Obviously, The Turtle House references The Turtle House in the book, but how did that become the title? And then let's talk about your absolutely stunning cover. Okay. I mean, The Turtle House name, originally it was um, Home to Kadoma, which is the name of the village. And I I had started, I was like, it needs to have the word home in it. I wanted to to have the name of the village in it. And then over time, as the house became bigger and bigger within the pages, and I could see more of it, it just became the turtle house. Turtles, my grandmother loved turtles. She thought they were, they were, they were good luck. We had a set of like these 
plaster turtles. They're still in my parents' house that they got at like a, like a garage sale or an estate sale. And she loved those things. And she would like go by and kind of pet their heads like, oh, very good luck. I just something that has stuck with me all these years. And it's funny how turtles kind of pop into my existence here and there. I'll be out and about and I'll see a turtle and I'll be like, oh, hey. So it was a natural, a natural title for it. And there was some back and forth at the beginning with my agent. But then the publishing house kept on responding that they really liked the name. They really liked the name. And so it it stuck. And I'm so grateful it did. I really like the name, too. And it's so easy to remember. And that's one of those things that I love in a title. And I'm not trying to recall, okay, what words and what order do they go in? So The Turtle House definitely connects me right to the book. And it's a very easy to remember title. It is. And I love the the idea. I mean, when I was a kid, I always thought that the turtle, you know, like cartoons, turtle would duck his head in and he'd like have a house and <laughs> you'd see like a painting above a fireplace or something like I, I love the idea that the turtle would kind of carry his shell with him or with her in this case and kind of have a safety place. Oh, I love that, too. I hadn't even thought about it that way. Um, and the cover. Oh, my gosh. The cover was a labor of love on Harper's part and mine as well. It first came to me with those gorgeous flowers. I loved it. I loved the color scheme. It was like they had gone into my my bedroom and gone, OK, she apparently likes this blue color and this coral color. and had used those. The only problem we had really was the house in the bottom right corner. It was a challenge to find the right shape of house, size of house, what it would have looked like in Texas, kind of like when the Cope family ranch house would have been built, probably kind of early 1900s architecture. And we have a lot of them around here. And you, you know, if you still drive out in the country, you'll see them. And that was, but I mean, I knew what it looked like, but they didn't. So it was just kind of a miscommunication there. And then my aunt June, who is my um, grandmother's second daughter, is also an artist. And I was talking on the phone with her. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got to get this house right. And she's like, well, Mandy, I, you know, every time they they start to tear down one of these original houses, I just I just go out and sketch it. And I was like, you do? And she's like, yeah, I have sketches from like the last 30 years. And so she literally took photos of her sketches and sent them to me. I put them into Illustrator and vectorized them (laughs) and did my graphic design stuff and sent them over to Harper. And they're like, perfect. This is great. So um, they stuck it in the corner along with a barbed wire fence, which is if you're from, I mean, if you're from Texas, there's barbed wire everywhere. or And windmills. And windmills. And if you're from here, you call it bob wire. It's, I thought it was bob wire my entire growing up until I got to college and realized there was an R in there. And <laughs> I love um, that. Yeah. Thanks, public schools. No, um, that was all on my own. So they added that in and the windmill. Um, and I was like, okay, that's it. That's a house. And it it came together. It was just, I'm I'm so happy. And my Aunt June has her on the inside cover. It says art by June Marcus. And that makes me so happy. It feels like it really is a family affair here. Okay, that's so cool. And then there's some writing on the left side. Yes, that is the Turtle House in Japanese. They actually hired an artist to do that. And we had to go through a few versions because English to Japanese, Japanese to English is such a, I mean, that is, that's a challenge right there. So we had a few versions and we um, had some experts weigh in on how, how to get it right. So it does sound like the cover was a labor of love. It was. And there was no turtle on the cover. And they, I I was kind of like mocking up 
the design on my end, putting on my my aunt's house and some barbed wire. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sneak a turtle right over here. So I had a little, little Minogami that was from my website and I stuck it on. And um, the designer was kind enough to leave it there. I have the most fabulous designer and she was so patient with me. And I didn't know that I would be a a design worrier. I was I had always seen book cover designers as the be all end all of the design world. I am kind of like, you know, a little nobody. I, you know, put stuff together. I do logos, but they were like the true artists. And I was just I had too many hands in that in that pie. Um, and they were kind about it. So <laughs> I appreciate them. Yeah, exactly. You 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 want to get it right because there are so many very specific things about your story. And so it's important that that is reflected in the cover. Well, and anyone from Texas, I was always cognizant of like people reading it from here. What would they see and what would they see that is wrong? And yeah, that 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 really it stays with me now. I'm like, OK, did I get that right? Did I get that right? So before we wrap up, Amanda, what have you read recently that you really liked? Oh, my gracious. OK, so. Right now, I'm in the middle of Paulette Giles. Um, is it, I think it's Cheneville. I think that's right. I think that's right. And it's post-Civil War. I did not, when I got the novel and I looked at it, I was like, oh, this doesn't look like something I would like. Um, just based on the cover, that's, I mean, I was being a very bad reader at that moment. And I have fallen in love with these characters. And the movement from place to place is just fascinating. It's, it's a great book. Another one that I read recently, oh gosh, Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea by Rita Chang Epig. It is a fabulous book and it is about like a pirate. It is about a, it's a, like a Chinese pirate queen and how she's trying to save her fleet and she gains power and they go all over the sea. I mean, it's just, it's like, I didn't think I would like a pirate novel, but there again, I proved myself wrong. Um, a History of Burning by Janika Oza. That is, if you like historical fiction and if you like histories that you had never, you never knew about, this one is um, an Indian family that makes their way to Canada by way of Uganda. It goes, it spans generations and hops through time. It's kind of like if you enjoyed Pachinko, I think you would like this one. And I mean, such beautiful, beautiful writing. Janika is a poet in so many ways and the way she puts her sentences together and describes things. The Majority by Elizabeth Silver. That's another one that has kind of a historical vibe. Apparently, I have a, I have a thing for histories. But it's just a, a retelling of a Supreme Court justice and how it, I mean, it's just, it's just beautifully done. And there's a great story there. So you get to see the outside of how this woman made choices um, as a justice and what went into that and then her personal life and how that informed her choices. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just beautifully done. Gosh, I think, oh, I think that's it. I'm looking at here. Oh, BFF by Christy Tate. If you like memoir, that was such a fun read. And it's just a look at how female friendships work and how they fail and how to build better ones. And it's all told through like story. And it, I mean, as a woman reading it, I could see myself in these situations. And Christy has a great way of, of looking at life and just kind of like crystallizing things we already feel with her words. It's, it's a great read. I really enjoyed that one as well, and I interviewed her about it. I thought it was just a fascinating look at female friendships. I love, I love Christy. She is a lot of fun, and she's just funny and honest and, and heartwarming. 
And I love Paulette Giles. I actually have not read Chenneville yet, but I love News of the World. And have you read The Madstone by Elizabeth Crook? Oh, my gosh. That is on my list. It's next to my bed right now. That is another one. I am just I just can't wait to dive into it. With the Texas connection, I think you will love it because I just thought it was stunning. And it's kind of that same time period, which I think is something I'm drawn to. Um, I guess just living in Texas, you hear a lot of old stories about how things were. And I'm glad that writers are taking a look at that. I agree. Well, thanks so much, Amanda, for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts from a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts from a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.